chapter 3, um, we left off with a lying snake. And um, if you've ever talked to a snake, you know they lie. And uh, no, actually, I hope you're not talking to them. Uh, it's not good. You can't trust them. They'll bite you, give you the creepies. And, uh, but he told her something. He told, he told Eve. Uh, last thing we had heard there, they, the Lord was coming in the cool of the garden, and um, he, was handing, he, was, he was approaching them in their sin. And um, just by way of review of that last part, we'll go into that. And then tonight we'll be uh, covering Genesis chapter 4 more and going through that. But I did want to, to look at some of that uh, right at the very end uh, in, verse, in verse 8. Um, right after their eyes were both open, uh, it says they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. And, uh, we talked about the Lord as he's moving through the garden in the cool of the day. And of course, where, what are they doing? They're running and hiding from God and, uh, hiding themselves away, uh, amongst the trees of the garden. And in verse nine, it says the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly uh, shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow, and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat, uh, eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground for out of it uh, wast thou taken for dust thou art and to dust shalt thou return and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living unto Adam and to his to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them and the Lord God said behold the man has become one of us to know good and evil and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever Therefore the Lord God sent him from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. You know, their blame game started, and many of us are familiar with this story, that, you know, people started getting in trouble, people started pointing fingers, and everybody went under the bus. And it was a really, uh, you know, uh, eye-opening experience for them as they got to see that, you know, in all of this, uh, nothing happened like they thought it was going to happen. And it was the result of sin. And, of course, as we finished up with that last time, uh, you know, you think about how uh, man 
here is approached by God. Um, God was prepared for this, and he dealt with it in the right way, um, obviously. And, of course, um, you know, as he talks to the serpent there, he mentions, of course, in, in verse uh, 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's an important verse as we set up for chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4, as we're going to talk about Cain and Abel, is about the, the you know, it's the, the dangers of vegetarianism, right? You know, vegetarian people are dangerous, and we're going to learn that in chapter 4. Uh, and they're crazy. And um, that'll be on the recording. We'll get all kinds of PETA people calling. Um, but in chapter 4, as we get ready to enter that, there is two seeds that have been talked about from Genesis 3. The seed of the woman there and the seed uh, there talking about the, the serpent there and talking about the serpent's head, I mean, and talking about there the the uh, seed of the woman, of course, of course, bruising his head. And uh, really the, the two paths here will be evident in chapter 4. And of course, you know, at this point, as we come to chapter four, and we get, and we're as we get into it, we're going to talk about Cain and Abel, and um, Cain, of course, known as the uh, the first murderer. Um, and I think sometimes that can overshadow things a little bit, where you miss some other things. Um, but as we come to chapter four and verse one, where we're going to start tonight. Um, it says that uh, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. You know, Adam, at this point, they have not, you know, here it is, they've not had children. After this test that they go through, now they, they have children. And, um, of course, she gets Cain. And what do you think her thought is after she just heard from Genesis 3.15 she she's thinking that this is the opportunity for for them to strike that blow back at the serpent, and um, so here she is saying, "I have gotten a man from the Lord." Uh, as she does this, she's using a term here. the The word "Lord" that she uses um, is coming from the word Yahweh. When she talks about God in chapter three, and when she has interaction with Satan. She uses Elohim, a more general term for God. Yahweh being much more personal and being a lot, uh, you know, uh, it'd be a more intimate term that she would use shows that she recognizes that this is a blessing from God. You might thought it was the curse, but it's not. Children, they, they are a blessing from God, right? Amen? Okay. All right. All right. A few of you agree. So, um, but as you look at this, they are. Uh, she gets a, a man from the Lord who she might would believe as she holds this baby. Think about it. Did Mary get a baby from the Lord? She did. She did, didn't she? Um, Eve probably wouldn't have understood or known about the, the virgin birth, but here it is. She's thinking this, is, this baby's provided by God. And she rocked that little baby in her arms. She was rocking the first murderer. And uh, you think about that. She's looking at it, and there's the first murderer in her arms. One that, one that will be forever. As they look at that little baby, she has no idea. And Eve's hope, as, as, as we look at this and we come to this point, Eve's hope is that when she conceived, 
that this is going to be the answer to man's problem. You know, as, as they think about this, they would have had no doubt the opportunity for proper teaching on what God expected and what God wanted from their life. And, and, what, and what, you know, the plan would be, we don't know the detail to which he gave it to them, but she knew that it was going to come through that seed of the woman. And as, as we come to this, she conceives, she bears Cain, I've gotten a man from the Lord. You know, I've got him is the idea. Here he is. This is the one. And, um, you know, you think about all the good things we want from children, um, to think that you have the Messiah in your arms. That must have been a special moment for her. Um, someone who would be able to pay the penalty, pay the price. The understanding of sacrifice that they, that, that they had already seen and no doubt the Lord had taught them. And to know that this is the one to do that. The Savior of the world. And of course, uh, as she's thinking about this, she's no, she knows he's going to grow up to become a man like Adam is and, uh, and be, that, be that one to help through that. So in verses 2 through 5, we see the birth of Abel and then the offerings. I want to go there. Uh, and she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So in verses 2 through 5, first thing we want to see here is that Abel here is mentioned. He is a keeper of sheep, first, first of all. And Cain is a tiller of the ground. We have two primitive employments. This is what happens. Uh, these are not nomadic cavemen. They're not wandering around and, you know, beating women over the head and dragging them back to the cave. They're not hunting down animals and, and things like that. And, and it's, it's more uh, uh, of an employment here. They begin to put together this agricultural and pastoral uh, type of employment together. And uh, this is what they're known for as they're working there. And, um, of course, uh, as, as we look at this, Cain brings this offering. Um, it says in the process time that Cain brought forth of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. You know, you can make, as you look at this, you surmise that Cain has or is bringing something that he, know is, he knows is required of him. We probably would look at Cain and Abel during this time and say, all right, they have enough instruction. They've been taught that, that there is a time when you bring forth um, and, uh, a sacrifice to the Lord, and of course, um, some of the, a lot of the commentators go to the, um, the the cherubim that sat outside of the east of the garden is where they're coming to uh, for that, and and approaching that area uh, to meet with God in that way. Uh, we don't know that, but but it would it would make sense, and the idea that you would bring these things. And as he comes, as he comes to that way, and he comes in to meet with God, and and to do that, we see here that uh, Abel 
also comes at the same time, and he brings the firstling of his flock. And um, the Bible says there that, that for Abel's offering, he had respect. That word respect means to look at anything with a keen, earnest glance, or if you could also be translated kindled into a, into a fire. In other words, we have examples in the Bible where the sacrifices are, are what happens to them to show acceptance. They are consumed, right? Fires consuming them, and no doubt this could be fire from the Lord showing that he had respect unto Abel's offering. And so as Cain comes forward, he brings the fruit of the ground. This is not, you know, and as we talk about this, that, that is bad. It is really bad. Um, but there are some other things. Go over to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. And as you go to Hebrews and you look here in the faith chapter, you see that the um, this reference to Abel, it says, By faith, Abel, off, Abel offered unto God a what? More excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, as you think about the quality of this sacrifice, what made it more excellent? What was it? What was it? It was blood. That's right. It was the blood. Do you think that from Cain's perspective that that was very appealing? No. Don't you know if the two were bringing the offering before God, when Cain looked at his fruit, I mean, you know, you've been to the NC State Fair, it probably looked like that, largest and best of everything. And then you look over there as a dead animal. Blood. And Cain looks over there thinking, wow, this has got to be more acceptable. You know, the sacrifice is important. And in chapter 11, verse 4 there, we see that by what? Faith. Abel offered. You see, it takes faith to believe that something like that was more beautiful to God and more accepting to God. Looking at Cain's, by man's standard, it didn't seem to, you know, it's a dead animal over there. It's bleeding out. That's more acceptable to God than this? It was the picture, obviously. It was the idea of the, the sacrifice there. You know, Abel, when she bared Abel, uh, his name, by the way, meant breath or vanity. Um, it's interesting of the two for him to be there prepared and ready, not in the vainness of his own mind, trying to offer something that God had not, that's not what God required. God required a blood sacrifice. And so here they come. Um, one sacrifice has life that's been given and the other one without. You know, as you look at the two sacrifices, one is superior to the other. 
is one bad? Yeah, if it's disobeying. But by man's standard, is either one? No. There's good and there's better. In fact, that's what Hebrews 11.4 says. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. When Cain approached God, what was his, you know, when he approached God, what, you know, was he intending to do evil? Was he intending to do wicked? His conscience is playing a role in this. We're going to talk about that in a moment. You know, when Cain brought this, he brings it in, in, in somewhat of faith. He brings it with the idea that he believes in the existence of God. Right? You don't bring something you don't believe is not there. He believes God is there. He also believes, secondly, that he's a God of power. You don't submit yourself to bring an offering without knowing that he has power, right? I mean, do you bring, do you take things to people? And, and do you, what, listen, if the government, let's use the government instead, right? Do, would you, why, you know, why do you pay taxes? Why do you do those things, right? I mean, because you believe that, hey, why do you drive the speed limit? You believe that man that has a little blue light, he's got power, right? He can pull you over. You submit to that, right? You know, that's Cain looks at this and he, he's bringing this because he believes that is a sacrifice to God because God is worthy of that. Uh, I, I think about the bounty that he brought. He brought the best of what he had. He brought the best of what he had there. You know, th this is, as you look at this, Cain, in his mind, is doing everything right. He is recognized by mental assent who God is in his mind. This is what I believe, and this is, and this is what I believe I'm going to give, and this is what I'm going to do. And so as you look at this, Abel comes forward. He gives the lamb, and there it is, bleeding. What does that represent? Well, it represents penitence. It represents the humble acceptance of God's mercy. And it represents the submission to God's will. You know, God said this is the way it gets done. And Abel, he may have thought what Cain gave was really nice too. But he knows what he was supposed to bring. He was supposed to bring the lamb. Because it's more about the picture and it's more about what God is trying to tell them that there would be a Messiah. By the way, Cain, you're not it. By the way, Cain, if, if, if you were it, you'd be on the altar. But as we look at this, Cain is confused. Cain is going to struggle. As we look at Abel, he has this respect. This, this, this is consumed. This is given uh, to him, uh, this, this approval. And, um, you know, as we think about that, there is um, this atonement for sin that has to be done. Um, 
you know, I, I think about the, the word here for offering. It, it comes from the word mensha, which is used in, in a broader sense here, covering really any type of gift man may bring. It's, you know, th- this, as we look at it, um, this more excellent sacrifice is just basically what God has told them to do. And, they're, and Abel is being obedient. Cain uh, was offering what? Dead religion. It's what he thought was important. Go to Matthew chapter 5. It's interesting that verse 22 talks about anger. And uh, as we talk about Cain... But in verse 23, it says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So it's not just the sacrifice either, is it? It's the person. Really, it's the person first, then the sacrifice. Both have to be together. But the person has to be right first. Cain's problem doesn't start with the sacrifice. Cain's problem starts with him as a person and his relationship with God. And so as we, as we look at that and we see that, we see that, uh, you know, Abel here bringing the firstborn of his flock, the idea it says, and it talks about their fat. And of course, we know that from Leviticus 3 and Leviticus 7, all the details about how that's done and that this is a sweet aroma to the Lord in Leviticus 17. And, um, you know, you, you, you go to look at that, and it's beautiful when you look at Cain's. It's not when you look at the lamb. By the way, what was that lamb supposed to atone for? How many people? One person. Abel's lamb, one lamb, one person. Eventually, at the Passover, it'll be one lamb per family. That's right. And then, for the Day of Atonement, it will be one lamb for the nation. And when the Messiah comes, it'll be one lamb for the world. The picture of the lamb was important. And it was vital that they understood that. The idea that he took away the sin of the whole world. And that picture could not be broken. And so, you know, as we come to this, we understand that the acceptance was very visible, no doubt public, for Cain and Abel. And... um, We know that God had accepted sacrifices throughout the scriptures. We won't go there. But, you know, as they bring this sacrifice, Cain, when he sees this, it says that Cain was very wroth. And and the, the key phrase here is that his countenance what? Fell. When someone's countenance falls, what does that mean? It means that they were once what? Happy that they were once anticipating that what they brought was right. 
So as we lay the groundwork for this, and as you think about it tonight, Cain could have easily have attended our church. You know, we can bring things that we believe is what God would accept. And then there's what God accepts. And those two can get really blurred if we're not careful as believers. I look at Cain and I look at the spirit in which he comes. He comes excited because what he has to give, he believes, is of value. But what he misses altogether is that God requires the truth. He requires the right thing be done. He requires complete obedience. And so as we come here and we see this, we don't see as his response was not a spirit of inquiry. It was not self-examination. It was not prayer. And it was not, how do I get pardoned? It was anger. It was anger. He felt betrayed. He misunderstood what true justice is all about. The problem with man is Genesis 3.15 has to occur. What is that? That there must be, there's got to be a payment here. There's got to be a, a decisive blow given. It'll not come through mental assent. Acknowledging there's a God is wonderful, but the devils believe, and we know that. But it's the idea that we have this trust in, in the Lord for our life, that we submit to the Bible and what it says. We support, we, we, we have the spirit and the conviction within our life. The real question in his mind was, is this just? And he said, no. He said, no, it is not just. You see, when we get angry, we violate our sense of justice. You ever had your, you ever felt like something was unjust? It usually occurs within the household, you know. Somebody gets crossed, you know, and we get angry, right? We get indignant. And, um, you know, it happens at work. When you get angry, you believe you've been, there's a form of justice been violated, right? There was the right thing to do, and it didn't happen. And most of the time, it's all y'all's fault, not mine. Okay? Right? That's the way you'd say it. It's everybody else's problem, right? Not mine. Because when we're upset, you know, we're looking at that thing, and we're thinking, they have violated my sense of justice. Cain feels that way with God. He is warped. Wait a minute. We can get angry with God. And when we do, and we struggle with that, we're no better than Cain. You know, go over to Matthew chapter 7. And look in verse uh, 21. You know, when he comes, he comes with this spiritual pride and hypocrisy. He's he's coming in a way that, you know, we know the scripture says, not everyone that's anthony, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. There is a requirement. There will be people who we know have done great and mighty things in God's name that won't go in. And as we look at this, Cain comes and he is, he is feeling as though he is justified in his anger. His countenance is fallen. And so God here, and thirdly, God's warning to Cain in verses 6 through 7, and the Lord said unto Cain, by the way, if, if you're God, how long has Cain left on the earth, right? I mean, he, he may just be snuffed out. Look at the patience of God here. But, and the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Why are you angry, Cain? These questions are meant to prick the conscience. You know, if you think about it, um, Adam was asked a few questions, wasn't he? And, um, you know, he goes back and he, uh, he's going to ask questions because you have a man here who his justice has been violated in, in his mind. In his conscience has been programmed that this is what I believe is right. There's what you believe is right, and there's what is right. But he believes what he's doing is right. He's justified it himself. The problem with the conscience is it's, uh, well, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but it's got a few problems. You know, if he, he reminds him there, if you do not well, then sin lies at the door. What has he given him an opportunity to do? He's given him an opportunity to retrace his steps, consider his ways, and amend the offering. Isn't that wonderful? It's great when authority gives you a chance to kind of back up. I never got that with my dad. No, I'm just kidding. He, you know, he might say it several times, but uh, that was rare. You know, he, more than likely if it you know, didn't have a new judgment game, right? Here God is even given an extension of mercy. He could just deal with Cain right away. Instead, he asked the question, and he's, and he's pushing him this way to, to think about these things. And, you know, if you do well, shalt thou not be accepted? You know, Cain's problem here is that he's bringing an offering. It could be a grain offering, by the way. Was it not accepted in, in, in Bible times? Yeah. And it was for thankfulness, right? By the way, had man not sinned in the garden, would they have possibly been given grain offerings during this time? You know, Cain struggled with the idea that he was a sinner. He was good with that there's a God. And he was good with giving God thanks for, but he was not good with recognizing himself as a sinner. That's the difference between mental assent and what Abel experienced in his repentance towards God. And that's the problem we have here. We have someone who believes in God, that he exists, but his life does not really show it. He's following the motions. He's doing these things, but it's a false religion. He's not in the Mormon church. 
He's not attending Catholic Mass. He's in the right place, and he's failing, and he's failing fast. But there is in these verses the greatest hope for Cain, that God continues to prick and prod him to help him understand that sin lieth at the door. Sin past reminds us of the guilt of sin and how it haunts and how it chases and how it pursues. Sin present reminds us of the stubborn position we take and the despair we're put in. But I'm going to tell you something. When he talks about sin lieth at the door, he's talking about sin future. And sin future is with the growing habit of iniquity, where you add to iniquity, iniquity. And where he, God says, here's your opportunity to deal with it before you go further and before it gets control of you. Go over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And in verse 1, we see here, it talks about the love. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope, in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is what? Of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Very clear here, there's the sons of God, and then we also see here that those that are of the devil. The irony of this is I told you, he's in the right place. He, he and Abel are coming to this, this place of altar and he's in the right place. He is recognizing God, but in his path, he is of the devil. And Abel would represent the sons of God. Does that not sound familiar in some chapters when we get further into this? Right? The daughters of men, the sons of God. As we look at this, it's very clear there's only two paths there. Verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Isn't that interesting that comes up here? Um, it is very clear, and James talks a lot about this, when we're talking about, you know, uh, our our religion, when we talk about um, 
our, our righteousness before God and really the quality of faith that we have. And he's not saying that we don't sin and we're perfect. He's saying that we don't habitually live in sin. And so as he's, as he's talking about this, he does mention here that those who live in sin, they, they are of the devil. Those who do not, by the way, if you're sitting here tonight and you're in one of two places, you know, it's, it's either you're living in sin of the devil or you're one of the sons of God. It's one of the two. And, of course, it says there um, in verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from where? What does it say? The beginning. This is from the beginning. This is what he's referencing here. That we should what? Love one another. Not as who? Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's was righteous. Now pay attention here. Cain did not kill Abel because his, the, the fruit wasn't accepted, or the, the, the produce he put out there wasn't accepted. He killed Abel because he's of the devil. That's why he did it. Jesus said, hey, you know, the world, the world hates you. It hated me long before it hated you. There's only two sides to this thing. You're either for the Lord or you're for the devil. It's one or the other. There's no neutral ground. And here Cain is called out specifically. And in verse 13 it says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My children, my little children, love us, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in what? Deed and in truth. It was important that Cain do that work, right? The deed was important that he do the work of the sacrifice. But more than that, he need to operate according to what? Truth. And the truth is, only the lamb will be accepted. Not, your, not, your, not what you're bringing. Hey, the deed is important, isn't it? The fact that you're at church tonight is important. The fact that you go to visitation is important. The fact that you do things is important. But you better come in truth. And the truth is, you better have a heart and a love for God. And you better be in his word. And you better, you, th those are the things that are important also. You know, as we look through the scriptures, you'll find lots of examples of people who had re vain religion. That's what Cain has. By the way, we don't discount the fact that he needed a sacrifice, right? We, we get that. There is a work involved. James says, you know, can that faith save him when it speaks of works if you don't have them? That's how we prove our faith, right? That's how we know it. And it, who's it proven to? Us. But when we sit there cold and dead and we follow the motions, who are we really here for? 
we're here for us then. When it's cold and it's dead and we come. By the way, Cain showed up. And it's cold and it's dead and there's nothing to it. Oh, he was happy because he had a good crop. But it didn't, it, you know, in God's economy, it's the blood. It's the lamb. It's the picture. It's everything about the Messiah. Now, look at this right here. It says in verse 19, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure what? Our hearts before him. Now, here's the key here. Our heart here, we're talking about our conscience. And, you know, I've taught this before in Sunday school We as we've gone through it. Your heart, your conscience is a wonderful thing. In fact, I heard one of the commentators say that it was the vice regent of God. Uh, the Spirit uses our conscience, doesn't he? I mean, we can, our conscience is the courtroom of the soul, right? We come in, conscience sits up there up top, something happens, and you get to, hey, you did something, and your conscience goes, guilty. But, 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 guilty. But, I, you, you don't understand, see, I, you, guilty. Okay. And there we stand, guilty. Now, the conscience is a dangerous thing because it's only as as good as what it's operating off of. For instance, if we were to institute Sharia law in the area, would you like it? Ladies, we'd say, guilty a lot, right? Where's your head covering? You know, you see what I'm saying? Your conscience can be wrong. What protects us? with a conscience that helps us more than anything else, the truth. It's the truth and obeying it. And as we look here, that's what we see there where it says in verse 19, and hereby we know we that are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Verse 20, for if our heart condemn us, what? God is greater than what? Our heart. You see, our consciences can do things that aren't right. In fact, they can make us guilty. And God is saying, I have declared you redeemed. I have proclaimed you forgiven. I'm ready for you to move forward. And it says, and knoweth all things. It wasn't like God didn't know. You know, in the courtroom, there are certain things allowed in, certain things not. You know, No, God knows it all. Can you imagine testimony with God? Uh, you can sit down now. <laughs> we don't need any testimony. It's all known. Uh, in fact, we're going to play it on the screen. You know. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then what? Have we confidence toward God? Now, that, that confidence is also, we could use that term, faith, right? That's by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. It is that confidence that we need to have for our life, that we, that we know the truth, 
And of course, you know, we see here that at the end of this, he says there that in whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments uh, dwelleth in him and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. And so, you know, as we come to this, this point here, we see that Cain's countenance has fallen, that he, is, uh, he has this opportunity to deal with this and get it right. And instead, as, as, we, as we come to this point, you know, his conscience, he's, 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 he thought he was gonna be, he's going to be right with, with God in that way. God tries to extend mercy to him. And um, verse 8 there, as we enter that, says, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. You know, it's interesting here that, that Cain, as a result of all of this, his response is not to the Lord, but to his brother. You don't, if he responded to the Lord, we don't have record of it here, but the idea there that God appealed to him and says, listen, the reason why you have to do this, Cain, is because of sin. It's because of repentance. It's because of atonement. Cain is more caught up with now going out and talking with his brother. And as he does this, it says it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And... Um, you know, you think about the once hoped for redeemer has now been found to be a murderer. And the second son now is the victim of a murderer. Can you imagine what Eve must have thought? What was going through her mind? You know, sin cannot be contained, no doubt, in her mind. Things are out of control. Lord's still in control. Verse 9, we move to the next portion here where God confronts Cain. And he asked him there, he says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? You know, it's interesting, Adam got asked, Where art thou? All of these things strike at the conscience of a person. Uh, God, of course, knows the answer to the question. What has he given him opportunity to do? He's given him a chance to confess. He's given him a chance to get right. You know, when God came in the cool of the garden and he begins to ask questions, what did Adam have a chance to do? He had a chance to confess and get it right. And he did that. It was the woman's fault, right? You know, as we look at this, you know, he, he parries the question back and it tells you a lot about what he thinks about God. He, he, he poses it back, he puts it back to him and says, you know, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? As though God is not all-seeing, that God is not aware of these things. And then he goes further and he uses, by the way, an element of truth here. 
pay attention to what, you know, he says there. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Let me ask you something. Are you your brother's keeper? Do you keep up with everybody all the time? No. So he lays out, he, he, he moves this over to something that's highly unrealistic, right? He's like, you know what? I'm going to, I know what God means, but I'm going to mean it. This, I'm going to have it mean something else. It's going to mean that I'm keeping up with him even when I'm not around. That's not what God meant. You know, as you look at this, God, of course, did not mean that you're not your brother's keeper not to lay hands of violence upon him and to put your hands on him and, and kill him. You are your brother's keeper. By the way, that's where you saw in 1 John 3. We didn't talk a lot about love, and it talked about your brother. And, it, and, you know, and, and, of course, the Lord talked about that when he talked about anger, he talked about murder. You know, these things, these things are important. And, of course, uh, Cain here does not repent, it, and, he, and he digs in on this one. And uh, in verses 10 through 12, it's, and he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened up her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. And, um, you know, the idea of the blood crying from the ground, the Bible's used this reference uh, before in, in talking about unpunished murderers. And the blood of Abel spoke out. And, um, you know, you think about this um, as Abel had his blood shed there. Um, we know that there is a, you know, the, what the blood of Jesus speaks of. It speaks of better things and what he paid for. You know, Abel here being sacrificed and, you know, you think about the martyrs. You think about people who have died. That calls out to God. And, um, you know, as you think about this, the, of course, he, he reminds him, he says in uh, verse 11, thou art cursed from the earth. Think about what that is doing. Uh, there's already a curse upon the ground. And, of course, you know, now he's, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna face this judgment of God additionally. And um, the irony of it being that the fact that he offered the fruit of the what? The ground. And now he's going to be struggling even more uh, to do that. And, of course, it says there that he, uh, uh, thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened and received thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto uh, thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And so here he is, he's given, he, you're going to be a fugitive, you're going to be a vagabond, you're going to have to wander, and he's going to struggle there. And he comes to this point, verses 13 through 15, and Cain says, enough, I'm going to relent. No, he doesn't. Verses 13 through 15, he says, Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear, because behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me in his it's interesting here that everyone who finds me shall what? Slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And so here, of course, uh, Cain is uh, worried about being murdered, isn't he? He's worried about being killed. Is there human government at this time? Not yet, not till after the flood, right? There'll be an institution of, 
when a man you know kills someone then his life will be taken um and as we come to this point the um you know uh and, and this is one of these these things that that Cain struggles with is now he's going to be potentially the target of all his brethren and he's going to he's struggling with the fact that they're going to they're going to they're going to be justified in in coming after him is what he thinks but God has not given that to man yet and God does protect him that way and says you know vengeance shall be taken on him seven sevenfold by the way has he already the judgment of death has already been pronounced on mankind because of sin in in the garden and um but as we come to this what is probably the the worst part of this is that instead of causing him to turn to god he takes of course you know as, as we look at this he's arguing with god and uh you know, commentator said one of the first signs of new life is that the individual takes side with God against himself. And that's really what repentance is, agreeing with God with where we really are. And, of course, God put the mark on Cain. And then we see there that in verses 16 through uh, 17, we see that uh, Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord. He dwells in the land of Nod. And the Bible says that he knew his wife. She conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And um, so they go out. They're going to build this city. And what what is the benefit of the city? What does it do for them? Why would you build a city? You're under the judgment of God. You are worried about being murdered or killed. Um, what what is the city going to do for you? What about why would you go out and and put these defenses together? What's that? Need walls? You want protection, don't you? You want the externals. And, and, and by the way, we have that here today. Um, when you think about the way things are done today within what's called the church, you know, I talked about what was Cain's problem in his sacrifice. He had what level of faith? He had a mental ascent. He, in other words, he ascended to, you know, I, I, I sent to that there is a God. I recognize that he's powerful, and I recognize he's due this bounty, right? But he's not what? He's not penitent. He's not, he is not coming in the spirit of Abel, right? He is not coming agreeing with God that this is what needs to be done. And he turns his, he has argued with God the entire time. An unrepentant person is going to do that. They're going to argue with God that they're okay where they're at. And then they're going to, they're going to be upset and they go out. And then they provide for themselves their own protection. You know, today, we, not, may, we may not have people living nomadically out in some distant land. But we can go hide in big ministries and big buildings and big programs. And tuck ourselves away. You know, there's a lot of churches that do that. They 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 build a program around mental ascent. They give the, you know, you believe in God? Yeah, all right, pray after me, one, two, three. Their numbers swell. They build a few more buildings. Everybody starts feeling better. Building buildings is not a problem. 
but the size of your ministry doesn't equal what God requires. What God requires is that it be built upon what? Truth. First John 3, what were we talking about? The truth. What we're talking about? The deeds and truth. We're talking about those who, you know, hey, where you're a legalist down there and you're not going to be able to have it. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, listen, if you ever try to live according to the Bible that way, this guy worked in ministry. He said, listen, you're just going to be planning on being small. How about we plan on being right? Because I guarantee you this, it may have looked like Abel lost, but he won that day he died. And, you know, when we think about what's going on here in this chapter, it's a whole lot less about fruit and a whole lot more about the lamb. And before we ever got to the altar, we had a problem with Cain. What he believed about God was entirely different. Two boys in the same family. And what he believed about God was entirely different than Abel. His actions looked similar. I mean, here he comes. Now when he's out and he's, he's out there, he's trying to protect himself. And he begins to do these things and build these things. Of course, it talks about his, um, uh, you know, how he has children. And then in verse 19, it talks about Lamech, by the way, is the seventh from Cain. Guess who the seventh from Cain and Jude is? I mean, seventh from uh, Seth is. What? Enoch. That's right. So we look here and, you know, Lamech, this was his, his thing. He says, uh, Lamech took unto him two wives, polygamy. See, they're they perverting this thing. The name of the one was Ada and the name of the other was Zillah. And, of course, um, it talks about uh, uh, verse 21 they bring in fine arts, the harp and organ. Uh, look in verse 22. They've got like metallurgy going on. They got artificers in brass and iron, and they start moving forward in technology. What are they doing? They're insulating themselves, protecting themselves, because now to protect themselves, they have no. The only thing that they have is the flesh, the carnal, the now. And they begin to surround themselves with that. And, you know, as we, as we think about this and we look at this, this is, these are one, by the way, there's nothing in this is that, you know, as you look at the, the, the artificer in brass and you start seeing the technology and all of that, but it becomes the focus. And the truth and the deeds start to go farther and farther away. They're into polygamy now. Look in verse uh, 23. Here's a little poem for you, right? A little Hebrew poetry as, as he talks about it, probably something they used and said and were proud of. But Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken to my speech. For I have a slain a, a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be a giant, avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. Somebody tried to hurt Lamech, and here's got a nice poem about it. He killed the guy, right? He, he took that into his own hands, and he, and he dealt with it. You know, and of course, this is just that ungodly line of Cain continuing to get worse. And it's going to get a whole lot worse as we move closer to the flood time. But then in verse 25, the Bible says that Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, for God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, 
and he called his name Enos, that then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. And, you know, as we come to this point here, and we recognize that, you know, here, here she has Seth, um, he replaces Abel, and as to come through that line would be believed to be the Messiah there for them as they, as they look forward. And um, the Bible says they began to call on the name of the Lord. And that's, that is their, that is what they're known for. Did they do something with brass? I don't know. They could have. Did they build a big city? I could have. But you know what they were known for at the end of the day? Hey, we call on the name of God. You know, tonight, the challenge for us, what is the focus? What is, what are, what are we working towards? And we walk in here all the time. We offer a sacrifice every day of our time, our treasure, our talents, all those things that are out there that we do. The Pharisees in the time of Christ, you know, they were to be seen of what? Of men. You know, we need to really evaluate, is it about us? Because for Cain, that's what it was about. Listen, when he got wroth and he was upset, that was in pride. He could have got it right. He could have got it taken care of, but he didn't. And then at the end of the day, when he had every chance, by the way, he's given life. And he could have changed at any moment, but we don't have a record of that. He could have repented at any time. He invested his life into now. He chose the temporal. He chose the carnal. And he chose, he chose right now over the heavenly, the eternal and calling upon the name of the Lord. That's all we have about Seth, you know, the line of Seth there. It's then begin, man, hey, there was revival. There, there are men calling upon the name of the Lord. That's what's most important. What's most important for us? Hopefully it's to be burdened for the souls of men and reaching others. That's what God has us here for. I mean, it's nice to have nice things. But we can't let those things distract us. And I think about Cain, who had every opportunity. And I think about how long, you know, you can, you can come. And you think about the place that he was in. He was in the greatest place. Wouldn't it be nice to be right in front of the Shekinah glory of God? You wouldn't have to question, is this, is this, is this place right? <laughs> can I check your doctrinal statement before I come here? Um, I don't think that's what happens, you know? You know it's right. And yet, Cain, you're not listening. And that's where we have to evaluate. That's what we have to line up. Where's my heart? By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. I pray that that's your heart's desire tonight, that you'd offer that more excellent sacrifice. Let's pray. The only Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for thy word. And Lord, we just thank you so much for, uh, or we think about the plan that was instituted. We, we think about the fact that there was no surprise here, that you fully knew what was going to happen, 
and that you provided a way and that there is a will of God that can be known, that can be followed, that can be trusted, and that can be obeyed. And we don't have to live in confusion. Lord, help us to identify places, the devil's traps, where he'd have us living according to the dictates of our own heart apart from you. And Lord, I pray you help us to identify those things. And Lord, help us to understand and know, uh, Lord, when we stray from your will and your design for our life. And Lord, we just thank you so much for the word of God, for the truth, and the ability to know it and to follow it. Lord, we thank you for Lighthouse Baptist Church. Lord, may it never become a place of ritual. May it never become just a place of dead religion. May it always be alive with hearts that are, are, uh, Lord, personally, individually given to thee. Uh, Lord, long before the sacrifice of worship takes place here, of of going out on visitation, of of church attendance, and, uh, Lord, anything that we do here, Lord, may it emanate from the right heart, the right spirit. And, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to serve here. Bless our time now, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.